Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. For your tender mercies upon our lives, Lord. While the Word of God says your spirit will not contend with man forever, still tonight you give us another opportunity, Lord, to repent, to open up our hearts, and to turn in the direction towards blessing, Father. We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, open our hearts, Lord, circumcise our hearts, Lord. Allow us to receive your Word that you have placed in my heart tonight, O God, that we might be the people you desired for us to be. And allow your spirit to minister tonight and and have an impartation of blessing, O God, so that we not fall short, O Lord, and lose out all the plans that you have for us. Prosper us, bless our time here together. You have promised that those who hear your word and put it into practice and to put it into obedience, Lord, will be a prosperous and blessed people, Lord. And that's why we're here tonight, Lord. Speak to our hearts. And as we make your word our passion and priority tonight, in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God say amen. Amen. We have a serious dilemma. I don't know what the nexus is, but pretty much we have an inability to pass down what we're receiving for two reasons. One, we don't receive it right, and two, we don't want to give it right or we exchange it. But the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, that a good man, that means a righteous man, a man who in the eyes of God is decent and perfect and sound, leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance, Proverbs 13, verse 22, to his children's children. What does this mean? I've been at countless conferences all over the world, and every time they use this verse, they're talking about money. They're talking about if you're a good man, you're going to work real hard and leave your inheritance to your unbelieving children so they can go out and continue to do unbelieving things. Does that make sense? That you would inspire your children with your wealth to give to an ungodly generation, to pass down to another ungodly generation, to perpetuate ungodliness. It's supposed to be that this only happens in Little League. That the man would grab the ball, and he's two years old, and he runs down, and he scores in the opposite goal. That you would use your resources, your money, your inheritance to put it in the hands of ungodly children to perpetuate ungodliness. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be a spectacle. When we see the numerous people who who didn't have it together and passed down their inheritance to be lost forever, not impacting the kingdom of God. But as the people would use this in a financial scrutiny of saying a good man leaves money to his children's children. That means to your grandchildren. And this has nothing to do with it or very little to do with it. For the Bible is concerned more about character than it is about money. That's why the Bible says before you go after gold and silver, seek wisdom and understanding. And those of us that are here in the house of God, understand you will never prosper until your character prospers. And when your character prospers, everything you touch will turn into gold. But if you don't have a godly character, it doesn't matter how much gold you have, you're a fool and don't know what to do. And so the Bible wants us to understand that when we read this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his Children's children means that you're raising up godly children that will be a blessing to your grandchildren. They will know the fear of God. They will walk in the ways of God. They will speak the language of God. They're not going to be looking at Wall Street and occupying Wall Street. They are going to be righteous. They will go after godliness. They will seek wisdom with all their heart. And what a blessed grandchild you will have to have a God-fearing, trained-up child in the Lord. He will be the glory of your children. For Proverbs 17, verse 6 says that the glory 
of children are their parents. You want your grandchildren to have parents? You will raise up a son that will not take off in an ungodly relationship to crash and burn, to do things that are crazy. So, so it's all about character. I remember talking with Morris the first time he got to church. Morris's testimony was, I can't wait till my kid turns 12 years old so that we can smoke marijuana together. And that's no different from waiting for your child to grow up like some sons that say it's all about money. When I had to talk to Mauricio Chiriboga and tell him, no, my friend, you should know by now your dad has tons of money and no blessing when they were going through their, their issues before they got saved. So character is the matter and the issue at heart. And our prosperity is not that we leave a financial blessing to our kids or that we, we're real close and they're buddies because without Christ, we don't know anything. And I would have I been just as bad with my children, leading them in the ways of my passions and lusts. Like my fathers led me. And like his fathers led him. And how horrible it is that we didn't have good men leaving an inheritance to our parents to leave us an inheritance. But how dare we repeat that cycle of destruction? How dare we receive gold and precious things and then give forth garbage and ruins? Because we're not understanding what God wants. So praise God in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, I want to call remembrance to your genuine faith that is in you. I love that. I love that. That's like a refreshing glass of water that is in the, in the, in the young man's cup. And he's about to be able to quench his thirst the rest of his life because somehow into Timothy's life, he was able to receive genuine faith. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't hooky pooky. It wasn't hokey pokey. It wasn't some twisted type of serving God, some, some disgusting religious appearance. It, it was genuine. It was something that he had received. And Paul is writing about this when he witnessed this genuine faith that was in Timothy, and sad enough, listen here, sad enough, it didn't come from his father. Because God had given men the instruction, you're to teach your children, to teach their children, to teach their children. It wasn't a pastor's responsibility. It wasn't the pastor's responsibility to teach a young man he's not to have a girlfriend until he becomes a man. Well, we can't do that. That's, that would be too much. That would be too much to require a man to entrust his children to the truth of God. To say, my son, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife when he's ready to get married. We can't do that. We have to allow our children to be heartbroken. We have to allow our children to commit suicide. If you don't believe me, talk to Gary. Gary, at what age did this young man commit suicide? Your sister's boyfriend. 15. What did he do? Uh-huh. Why? Because he got heartbroken, right? By your little sister, right? Yeah. So we want the same thing for our kids. We want to continue to sacrifice our children to demons and to things that are twisted and live the fate of saying, I don't know what happened. I do know what happened. There was no man in Timothy's life, but thank God there was two women. And it says, this genuine faith, which first, say with me first, dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded this is how you got it. I'm persuaded that somebody paid the price to give you the true measures and the substance of godly faith. It wasn't his father. It wasn't his father. His father was a Peter Pan. A man unwilling to take the responsibility to model and example the saving Service and grace to our Lord Jesus Christ. It had to be Paul. In Acts chapter 16. 
You'll see in verses 1 through 3. Then Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. And behold, there was a certain disciple that was there, and his name was Timothy. When Paul gets to Timothy's life, he's already a Christian. And he's already a Christian, not because of his mother, not because of, I mean, not because of his father, but because of his mother and grandmother. There was something dwelling in them. It was something fixed. It was something serious. It was something, um, you don't teach faith, you catch faith. You never teach faith. That faith is like a cold. If you don't got it, you can't pass it on. And we're supposed to get it. And God wants to give it to us. But there wasn't an ability in this man's life. It says, and behold, there was a certain disciple named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. You know what it means? His father was involved in the ways of the world. His father was going around um, uh, quoting Aristotle and Socrates and Plato. He was a sophisticated man of this world. And the systems of this world are passing. But our victory is the faith. In this we have victory over the world. Even so our faith. I don't, I don't know if you're going to follow Donald Trump and it will go well with you. In fact, I know it won't go well with you. So his father was a Greek. In verse 2 it says like this. He was well spoken, the disciple... Of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconian. Everybody knew that Timothy was the real deal. He had a reputation, even from a young age, to keep the genuineness of faith, not to walk in the lust and the passions of the flesh like his father. Verse 3 Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So he took Timothy and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was not consistent, was not real, was a Greek. And let me tell you something. We are called to pass down a world-changing faith, and it's not the church's responsibility, and it's not the pastor's responsibility, it's not Kenny, the youth pastor's responsibility, it's not the Sunday school responsibility, it's you, Dad! It's you! And you need to find it, you need to fill yourself up with it, and model it at home. The presence of God needs to abide in you. And, and listen to me, the word there, we go back to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to me carefully when it says this, I call to memory your genuine faith that is in you, but it first dwelt, listen to that word dwelt. Where are we at? 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy 1.5. When he's talking about dwelling, in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, that is in you which dwelt. I want you to circle the word dwelt. This is not a temporary passing by. It's not showing up at church. It's not, it's not attending the meetings. This thing has to be inside of you 24-7. 365. There needs to be a president you. It needs to be the spirit of the Lord inside of you. So every time you are smacked, every time there's an issue, that faith is coming forth. But with it, there's a presence of those who walk with faith. And they're, they're not walking by sight. And they're not turning on the radio to make decisions. They're filled with the spirit of God. And it dwells inside. It says it's not a transient guest, but a settled inhabitant. Shh, the pastor's coming. Turn down the music. Shh, the youth pastor better not see you. Listen to me. You're deceiving yourself, my friend. Your sin will find you out. You're growing a harvest. It will be bitter. It will be horrible. For everything a man sows, the Bible says, that he will reap. And, and Paul talks to Timothy and says, this is a genuine faith. It's not from fear, but it has power, love, and it puts your thoughts in order. I don't know about you and your faith, but I praise God 
for, for the fear leaving my life. I just met a guy who's in the Marines. Tough guy this morning. He was downtown. He works for the federal government. Tough guy, carries a 9 millimeter and says, I can't have no children because I'm scared. I told him, scared of what? He says, scared of bringing them into this world. I don't know what's going to happen. I said, there's a big God in the heavens. There's a mighty God. And he's faithful. And you need not to be scared. Man, when you fill yourself with faith, there's no fear. Let's read that in a verse, I think it's 6 or 7. Let's, I think it's 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. That genuine faith that's in you, it, it will move mountains. It will come against a troop. It will let you walk on water. It says to the dead, rise and be healed. What are you fearing? You know why you're fearing, right? There's no faith. There's no genuine faith. But power, love suffers all. A sound mind. You don't go crazy when you have faith. I don't care what happens to you. I've seen some really twisted things happen. But when people have faith, they, they, they soar like an eagle above the storm. I love faith. I, I cherish faith. They will come into church as an act of faith. Act of obedience. Keeping the word of God. How I wish that we would have men that would pass down faith. And since we don't, we have to say, give me that old-time religion that my grandmother had. Praying knees, forsaking evil, walking, trusting God, being faithful to God. And so all these people that were able to pass down genuine faith in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, this is one example. Paul, he's writing these words. He says, I'm writing to you these accounts like I did in the first letter I sent you, O Theophilus. And I'm letting you know everything that Jesus did and everything he taught. When was the last time you sat down with your family to tell them who Jesus is? What he did? What he taught? If we, if we had genuine faith, we wouldn't need to be considering other sources. Hey, what do you think? Hey, what do you think? What does God think? And stand on what God says. Be bold. Be strong. Receive something from God and walk with it. Write a letter. This is what God showed me. This is what God taught me. And I'm standing on he who promises and does not lie. And Paul was that type of man. He was consistently passing down. Thank God for those who hold on to genuine faith. And keep on dragging us to genuine faith. And bring us to not lose faith. And renew our faith. And ask God for a new measure of faith. God, we are the light of the world. And if the light doesn't shine, then how will the world see? And there it is. He's writing these letters, but this is not it. Look what he says in Acts 20, verse 26. He says, I could wash my hands. Because I've given you everything for three years. Listen to me. I can testify this day that I'm innocent from the blood of all men. When you perish and die, it won't be my responsibility because I gave you what you needed to live. Paul is saying, I've given you genuine faith. Verse 27. I never turned away from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I've spoken it to you. And Paul in this particular case, he spoke to them for three years. He says in verse 31, be alert. Be watchful. Remember that for three years, I did not stop from advising and warning you and telling you and telling you and telling you night and day with tears my concern is to see you walking in the path of destruction and you have a smile on your face and you don't know that when you lose your faith you have nothing 
when there's no church to go to, when there's no pastor, when the the light of the Holy Spirit is so grieved, it flies away, and you're going to have to go to a witch like Saul, who had to go consult with the witch because the prophet was told to don't talk to him no more. He's not listening. He doesn't want the advice of God. He doesn't want the counsel of God. He wants to lift for himself up his own righteousness, his own pride. He wants to walk in his own understanding. Leave him alone. And the Bible says in Romans 121, because they did not glorify God, because they did not pursue faith, because they did not want the light on, because their deeds were evil, he sent darkness into their foolish hearts so that their thoughts didn't think anything positive. Not one thing. And I don't know if you've been around an unbeliever lately, but there have no hope, no God, and no promises in this world. And so Paul is saying, I, I didn't stop from telling you guys everything. I was declaring left and right in tears so that you might get what I got for you. I didn't even do it in verse 33. He says, I didn't even do it for money. I, didn't, I wasn't after you saying, hey, that'll be another hundred bucks. That'll be another hundred bucks. Because faith is free. It's free. It's by grace. It's the goodness of God. Some of you haven't paid tithe here since you got here. And God has had mercy on you. So it's not about money. It's not about honoring God with your prosperity. It's not about blessing God with faithfulness in tithes and offering. That's not what it's about. That's not what I'm out here for. God wants us to have genuine faith and to pass it down genuinely. And I do not want to be around men and women who care less about faith. I don't want to be in a church where God means nothing, where coming to church means nothing, where singing to God means nothing. God has given us a treasure we have not treasured. We think it's always going to be there. It's not. Ask somebody out there in the streets. How do we lose track? I'm amazed by this issue of Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, where God shows up to Moses and he says, who are you? You imagine one day that God shows up to your children and, and they turn to him and say, you know, why didn't I get this before? He says, he said, I'm the God of your father. What do you mean my father? My father didn't teach me. I, I don't know anything. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid. He, he didn't have the, you know, could you imagine your kid running from you? Because he doesn't know you. Instead of running to you like a father with open arms saying, I'm coming to you with full trust, he's running from you because he thinks you're a burglar. This Moses says, who are you? In verse 7, he says, and the Lord says, I surely have seen the problems going on with my people in Egypt. I, I take notice. My, my people might not take notice of me, but I see their suffering. They might not understand that, that they're going through problems and all that, but I see what's going on. I know their sorrows. Can you write, underline that? That God knows your sorrows. And the worst thing there is, is our disconnect from God. That the first thing a man does when God blesses him is to go dance in front of the devil. The first thing God does when, when God restores a marriage is to go out and cheat on his wife. And walk against God's ways. I don't understand it. God sees our cries. In verse 8, he says, I've come down to deliver you. This whole thing, church, Jesus Christ, the word of God, the spirit of God is to deliver us. Uh, three of you. To deliver you from every snare of hell that wants to take you captive. That wants you not to enjoy one day of your life upon the earth. I want to deliver them and bring them up to a good land which is large, which flows with my provisions of milk and honey and keep them from all the enemies of divorce, of domestic violence, of separation, of step-parents, step-mom, step-dad, pseudo-families, gay relationships, same-sex marriages, all the enemies that are upon the earth. I've come to deliver you from that, from loneliness, depression, anxiety. I want to deliver you from that. 
Yeah, but my dad wants to sacrifice me to that. He wants me to go through what he went through because he hasn't got anything up here. He hasn't received anything from God. He can't pass what he can't have, what he doesn't have. In verse 9, he says, Now behold, the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I've also seen the Egyptians, how they're taking advantage of them. Come now, therefore, verse 10, I will send you to Pharaoh that you might bring forth my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There's only one question. God has all these plans. He has all these realities. He has all these promises. He has all this future. Our grandfather didn't take that road. Our fathers did not take that road. We, despite the hell we went through, are casually and leisurely thinking, I better not take this serious. So now another generation has to ask this question. Verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? What is this all about? Why do we go to church and why is the pastor screaming? Why is the pastor intensely concerned about us losing it, watering it down? It's too strong. It gets my friends intoxicated. They think I'm a real radical. He better think you're a radical. Faith is a radical faith or it's no faith at all. You're not going to be able to dress it up. So it looks good and smells good to this world. Because this world has the fragrance of death. It has the fragrance of urine and crapola. And that's what they're attracted to. That's why they're in enmity with Christ. They smell Christ on anything and they're cursing you. And you're accommodating your Christianity to their intense, deprived degeneracy. Horrible. I'm going to walk like the world, talk like the world, befriend the world so that they accept me. Guess what? They never accepted Christ. And if you belong to Christ, he says they won't accept you either. They won't accept you. And he says, who am I? What a horrible question. Who am I? My dad didn't tell me who I was. My dad didn't tell me who I was. He told me what he wanted me to be. And since he was so fallen in his ways in middle school and nobody looked at him, now he wants me to live through my life. That happened to my next door neighbor. Ugly guy. Ugly flaquito. So frustrated. When he became an adult, he was throwing incredible power 96 parties for his daughters. And they were Christians. But his complexes didn't allow him to stand up for Christ. So they have no home. They have no marriage. It's amazing. We forget where we come from. Who am I that I should go and stand against the systems of the world and be a part of the answer to change the world? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of the world? And, and Moses didn't know the story. It wasn't about who he was. Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Forget about who you are. Forget about your agenda and your plans and your ways of thinking and get on my game plan. Start with my boot camp. Start getting trained up in character, my friend. You're called into this world to shine for the glory of God. You're not here to be a puppet of the devil. You're not here to be a toy of Satan. You're not here to flirt with the ways of the world. Who am I? I am who I am, he said. And thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has come to send you. The Amplified says, I am who I am and what I am and I will be what I will be. You're not asking the questions here. You're following orders. I got great deliverance for my people. I got great plans. If you would stop with your foolishness, Repent and ask the Spirit of God to come upon you. And ask God that you might see His glory. I love this thing about contending for the faith. I'll tell you what, we've lost it. Jude chapter 1 verse 5. He says like this. He says, get prepared. 
Get prepared. I'm sorry, verse uh, 3. 1 3. He says, Beloved, I wanted to write something nice. I wanted to talk to you about our common salvation, how Jesus died and saved us. But I found it necessary to write to you and tell you off. Exhorting is a strong rebuke. It's a strong, like saying, hey, you know something? You're about to get stripped. Hook, line, and sinker. The devil's about to hook you all the way inside. But I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you, that you better fight the biggest battle of faith you've ever fought, my friend. You better come out swinging. You better get ready to fight for this faith. Well, how did we get it? It was once brought down by holy men. The the only way we get this stuff is that somebody would pass it down and give you the realities of the faith that overcomes the world. People get into yoga. They get into all sorts of New Age religions and New Age philosophies. That has never helped anybody, including John Lennon. It has helped nobody. And yet our faith in Christ has lifted up those people who had no life. And one of you is preaching here tonight. Who had no future. Who had no hope. Had no worth. Had no influence. And God wants to raise us up. He wants to give us the real thing. People are sick and tired of religion. People are sick and tired of religion. We're going to need to fight for this thing. I'm fighting like crazy. I have not seen a pastor in our generation in the last 10 years kick more people out of church. I, I don't know him. And you know why I do? Because I'm not going to allow somebody to sit here and take these things for granted. I'd rather be alone with me and my family. My family and I for English teachers. We're fighting a battle to make sure people don't water it down. Millionaires have come and says, hey, 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 I'll give you money. Listen, take your money and perish. Take your money and perish. You would have the largest church in Miami if you didn't preach that way. Listen, I'm not preaching to have a large church. I'm preaching to give my sons the genuine thing. To pass down to my grandchildren a good inheritance. I don't want to be surrounded by fools. I don't want to be surrounded by people who don't take Christ serious and love Him with all their heart, all their mind, and all their soul. I don't know what's left. All their heart, all their mind, all their strength. What's left? What's left if we don't take what what means everything and give it everything? I don't know what's left. David had a heart to to God. In Psalm 78 verse 4. He said these words. The men that that hung out with David wrote these words. We will not hide these things from our children. We're not going to hide them from our children. Telling the next generation the praises of the Lord. To talk about his incredible strength. To talk about his miracles. To talk about all the great things God has done. That's what church is about. That's the people of God who show Forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And you can't make that relevant. You can't make that real. You need to entertain your children with the ways of the world. How could it be? How could our children desire for crap when they have ice cream? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. David says, I want to show the next generation. All the powers and the glories of God. Verse 6. The next generation to come. Why do I want to tell them about all these things? So they could know it. That the generation to come might know God. The children who would be born. They're not here yet. So they may arise and declare it to their children. If you're not passing it down to your kids, how are your children going to get it? What are your children going to get? Mormonism? Jehovah Witness? Witchcraft? Unbelief? Atheism? Because you were a coward. You didn't want to take it to your children. It was too radical. It was too intense. We had to go to church on Wednesday night. <sighs> How horrible. 
How horrible. We can't schedule our time. We're out there serving mammon, serving things that are good for nothing. When you go crazy, when you go intensely insane, we're going to see what happens with mammon. We're going to see what you're going to do. And if it won't call you into hell also, Deuteronomy 4.9, be careful and watch closely so you do not forget the things you have seen with your eyes or let them get away from your heart as long as you live. Be careful. You know, we're, we're, we're fascinating. Human beings are fascinating. I don't know if you know about new things. You know, I, I, get, I, I could get captured in my attention about a new thing almost like, probably like three seconds. As soon as anything new comes in my life, it's something supernatural about the human existence that we could get something new and in two seconds it becomes old and it becomes nauseous. And if you don't believe me, ask some of these wives. They get married, and in a couple days, this guy smells like the pit of hell. These men get married, and in a couple of days, their beautiful, godly woman becomes a pain in the neck. And something about our humanness. We have a good pastor. We want to go get some other pastor. It doesn't matter, any pastor. We don't care if he's good, bad, or indifferent. A young man told me, I'm leaving the church. I said, why? He says, I'm going to go find a good church. I said, no, you're not. You're not interested in a good church. You're interested in a place where you could sit there for an hour Sunday afternoon and not be challenged and confronted with your lukewarm Christianity. You want to see that you're right. So you could go catch a football game in the afternoon and not sit down with families that are coming into this place that are losing their lives. They're losing their children, and you have to get away and out of here. You know something? Don't come back. There are lives here that are on the threshold of life or death, and they need somebody with a little bit of faith that tells them everything's going to be all right. Look at me and my wife. Everything's all right. Look at my son. Everything's all right. I used to be broken. Now God has prospered and blessed me. And just that little encouragement shows that you have just a speck of the Spirit of God in you. And you're able to pass it down to your children. They might know what to do with it to take it to the next generation. Be careful that in your heart you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and your heart loses them and it departs from your heart all the days of your life. See, no, um, but what? Teach them to your children and, and teach it to them so well that they will be able to teach their grandchildren because how awful it is that our parents didn't teach us, and when we try to explain to our kids, we say, I don't know, rub on it for good luck. We're passing down stuff that are totally not biblical. We have sayings in our mouth that are totally not biblical. The other day I was talking to my cousin. He says, all extremes are bad. I said, where did you get those words? You've been saying them for 10 years, and I'm sick and tired of them right about now. Where did you get that word, all extremes are bad? He says, I don't know. I just think all extremes are bad. I said, listen, that's straight from the pit of hell. That would be Satan. Because if you're loving God at the farthest extreme of passion, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's what the first commandment says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind. All is all or all is not, nothing. If it's not all, it's nothing. And so I said, you know something, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm, I'm going to look it up on the internet. Google, all extremes are bad. Aristotle, Greek philosophy, systems of the world, things that have nothing to do with the Spirit of God, foundations of sand that will fall in ruins. Make sure that you can teach them to your children in such a way they will teach your grandchildren. Never forget, verse 10, the day when you stood before the Lord your God, that you were in his presence. That he was talking to you like a man said last night, I'm glad I came tonight because this was for me. God is talking to me. God is talking to me. And God is faithful. And I don't know how every time we've come here for the last 14 years, God has been faithful to talk to us. Even though we turn a deaf ear. God has been faithful to sit there and say, come on, let's get with the program. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 1. 
These are the commands and decrees and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. I didn't pull this out of my ear. This is what God has instructed us to teach others. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. You're to obey them. These things are not just visceral, superficial things. These are life and death realities. He's telling you how to come up against evil spirits. How to keep your house protected. In verse 2, he says like this. That you may fear the Lord and keep his statutes and commands which I command you and your sons and your grandsons all the days of their lives. That your days might be prolonged, prospered, success. Keep my ways. Take them serious. Take them serious even though no one takes them serious. In chapter 6, verse 20, he says, in the future, your children are going to have a question for you. When your son asks you in a time to come, why do you take your God so serious? Oh, I don't. What do you mean you don't? No, I really don't care. Nothing means anything to me. Nothing is special. There's no specialness in anything I do. What is the meaning of these things that you keep? What is it about you honoring Sunday, the Sabbath? Why is it you give your tithes to the church? Why is it you're faithful in attending the services? Why is it you serve God? Why is it you come to the Lord? Why, well, who is it that you participate with? What do these things mean which the Lord God has commanded you? What's, a, what's the relevance of all these things in verse 21? Then you must tell them. Listen to me. It's not you should or you want. You shall tell them. We were total slaves. We were captive in the grips of drug addiction. We were captive in the grips of pornography. We were captive in the grips of divorce and destruction. The devil had us playing a game. All we knew, we were addicted to all sorts of things. And God brought us out from these places with a strong and mighty hand. That's my witness tonight. If this is your witness, raise your hand. Everyone in here, we're in the strong grip of Satan and the strong grip of Christ pulled us out. Not so you can live for yourselves. Then why did he do this? Verse 22, the Lord did these miraculous signs and wonders before our very eyes, dealing terrifying blows to Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people, to hell to Satan and every demon that came against us. The Lord was saying, you can't touch what's mine. You're not going to touch this. And the, God has fought our battles. He brought us out of Egypt, verse 23, so he could give us another land. He didn't bring you out of misery to put you into misery. He put you out of misery so you could come into glory. So you could live differently with different expectations. To a land he promised. Verse 24. And he commanded us to obey all his ways. And he continues to bless us and keep our lives as he's done to this very day. Verse 25. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all his commands. Our, we'll be living the Garden of Eden. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. He says when you are knowing these things, when you're living these things, you're teaching them to your children. He says, you shall teach them to your children. Why are you and mom not getting along? Because I'm disobedient. Because I'm rebellious. Because I didn't honor God. Not because your mom's a, a, a bag or, or a bad woman. No. It's because I forsook the ways of God. Because I didn't invite the presence of God in our house. Because we didn't serve him faithfully. That's why we were turned up to slavery and captivity speaking of them when you sit in your houses when you walk by the way when you lay down at night when you rise up in the morning when you're driving your car verse 20 verse 21 what for the question is what for so that your days and the days of your children might be abundant might be multiplied in a land that you that god swore to your fathers to give you like the days of the heaven above the earth they're going to be full of peace joy and extravagant listen to me I was in my house Sunday afternoon and I was sitting with a gentleman who came to visit me I said do you feel the peace in this place this is the presence of God this is the joy and the peace of God this is in our house because we serve a living God we're not playing religion this is real stuff 
And what a travesty that we can't pass it down to our kids. Psalm 71, verse 18, give me two more minutes. He says, even when I'm old and gray, God, don't forsake me. Why don't you want me to forsake you? Because I want to declare your power to the next generation. And I want to declare your reality to everyone who comes after me. What, what happened? Listen to me. This, this was your seat. This, this was the place that you worshiped the Lord. What, what happened? There's no children. There's no inheritance. There's no family. There's nothing. Because you played with your faith. Because the Bible says do not walk with unbelievers, and you did. Because the Bible says keep the Sabbath, and you didn't. Because the Bible says honor me with all your increase, and you didn't. And you've lost the faith, and you're shipwrecked, and there's no inheritance for your family. And trust me, if I knew, and I've said this many times, if I knew for a second that you were here mocking God, you wouldn't be here the next second. And the only thing that allows you to be in the presence of God is His mercy. His mercy. Despite your foolishness and your mockery and your pathetic indifference to the glory of God. I don't want to condemn you, but every second you sit here to listen to a message like this, you are bringing judgment upon yourself. I told a friend of mine in college, he says, hey, tell me why this and tell me why that. I spent a whole year telling him every question. Second year, sophomore year. Hey, Joaquin, what's the Bible says? Listen, last year I answered all your questions. This year, I'm not going to answer any of them because I don't want you to be more responsible than you already are. Why would you want to know something without doing something about it? I'm not going to answer your questions for your own well-being. Because the more you know, the more you're responsible for. You've been sitting here for 10 years? 10 years? Lord, let me grow old so I can declare your good glory to the next generation. So they might see your power, all those that are to come. Psalm 102, verse 18, let this be written for a future generation. Let, let whatever I write, my meditation, my heartbeat, how I treat my wife, how I treat my children, let my grandchildren hear about how I spoiled their grandma, how I was there at her side, how I loved her till I couldn't love her anymore. The passions and the glory of the goodness of God threw me to my wife so that my children might have a hope of a future and a blessing. If they see dad who's a hero being a failure in his marriage, what strength could a small child have? What, what hope can he have? Let me write these things down for the next generation, the people yet to be born, so they might praise you. Joel chapter 1 verse 3, it says, Hear this, you aged man. Give ear all you inhabitants of the land. Look at the things that are occurring in your days. Give a witness. Pastor Omar is a police officer now. He goes around taking pictures of all the kids that are in the world and their destruction. And he brings them here to show our kids saying, do not go in that direction. All that's out there is a huge loss. All is out there is a huge perversion. All is out there is huge deception. And Joel is saying this, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Tell your children about it. Tell your children and their children and tell their children and the generation that comes after. There's nothing in this world to be desired more than to live for God and to serve God and give God your best and let Him blow you up like He intended you to be the head and not the tail. He wants you to transfer this to your children. Let's stand tonight. I thank God for this word. You know, I hope you don't just hear this word. I hope this word drives you to say, Lord, I want to replace all my falsity, all my cheap, disgusting, discounted, defective, disguised, false Christianity. This is, this is the night to make a choice. This is the night to get closer to God. This is the night to go home and tell your children that, that you've misplaced their faith, that you've mistrusted their riches, that their treasure is falling, that they're losing their inheritance. Listen, if God puts you in this church, it's because he wants to make you a prince. He wants your family to be royalty. He wants you to be dignified and inherit the glory of God, the transformation of our character. If we let God, he's not going to force anyone. He's not going to force anyone. 
You know, God will let you be who you want to be. God is, God is going to allow you to continue in your indifference. He says, I beg you, return to your first works. Return to your first love. Return to the things you did when I was your best and I was your all-out only hope. When you sat there dying and perishing without any hope, God made you alive. God restored your home. He restored your family. I wish that some people would, would sit down and take the time to tell their family where they were without Christ. What, what value was everything you had without Christ? And these things that we do for the Lord, is, listen to me, it's just scratching the surface. Being part of a serious church, serving God in some capacity, just as much as your ability. He says he gave them talents according to everyone's ability. He doesn't want you to do what you can't do. But for God's sakes, do something that shows that you really know Christ. That you honor and love God. That you honor and love his house. And then pass it on to your kids. Listen, my boys and my girl are going to do greater things than I ever dreamed. My, my generations are going to be larger than, than my generation. I, I came late. I came late. But our kids... They're, they're ready to take the land. And it was that generation of, of Joshua that took the promised land. These people died in the desert because of their indifference. Oh, you brought us out here to, to come to midweek Bible study. Listen to me. It's pathetic. If, if I just had the, just a little help from God to kick you out, I would. Because I can't. If, if, if I just for a second lost my mind, I'd say, look, do me a favor. I never want to see your pathetic face again. But God loves you. And he has hope. And, and, and that's why he, he lights me on fire on a Wednesday night like this. Because he knows what he created in you. He knows what the potential is. Don't let the devil steal it and pull it out. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't discourage your kids from loving and honoring God and their pastor and their teachers and the youth pastors and the Sunday school teachers. Look, cultivate the spirit of God in your life. Paul had to tell Timothy, yeah, it was passed down, but stir it up a little bit. Stir up the gift of God in your life. Let's sing this song to the Lord and we'll dismiss ourselves in prayer. Listen, I really feel that if you need to come to the altar, come because I want to pray for you. You know, just, just come. I want to pray for you. If you say, look, I want a different season in my Christianity. Let's, you just come. We're going to sing this song once, and then we're going to pray, and we'll be dismissed.